Hello, 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 everyone. My name is Adam Sokolich, also known as the best of live audio, and I'm so excited to be here with you folks today. Of course, we're going to be diving into all things coding, all things AI with Replit CEO Amjad. Amjad, can you hear me? Are you there? Yes, I'm here, and I can hear Latin clear. Excellent, excellent. Is this your first time on Twitter Spaces, by the way, or have you been hosted or have you been uh, joining rooms before? Just always curious to ask that question. Uh, just once before we were, uh, I think uh, last year, um, we were announcing investment in Synthesis, this education company, Balaji, uh, Srinivas, and, uh, and, uh, and myself. And, uh, but that, that was the only time. And... Good, good, good. Well, folks, the room's going to populate. This is going to be a great conversation. I've been hosting so many CEOs on this platform and of course lately diving into all things AI. Just last week I had Intercom's co-founders on here. Today we're going to continue this conversation, learn all about Replit, what you guys are doing, and then specifically also diving into AI. So Amjad, if you're ready, I would just love to kick it off this question because if you haven't followed Amjad already, go ahead, check out his account. One of your recent tweets really piqued my curiosity when I was preparing for this Amjad. So you had just written in the last Last day or so, actually, it was earlier today. Uh, you wrote, "It's actually irresponsible to not leverage GT GPT." So I'd be worried about the other half, and that's in regards to another tweet from someone saying that a YC founder in the current batch said that half of our batch is doing something with Chat GPT. Is the world ready for 150 AI startups unveiled on Demo Day? Um, John, I just want to hear more about your thoughts on that topic before we dive in deeper. Honestly, like been pretty annoyed with like a lot of um especially coming like from vc types where like they're uh like you know um a lot of them coming up uh, you know out of the web3 hype a lot of them lost a lot of money and they think that like ai is another set of web3 type hype but it's totally different and it's it's unrelated and it's actually like a huge sort of technological unlock and you know, another tweet I made is I, <laughs> I was like, I heard that half this YC bash, they're using EC2. EC2 is like AWS's like compute infrastructure. Um, and uh, is the world ready for another like, you know, 150 AWS wrappers? And what I mean by that is like everyone uses, uh, right? The cloud is this enabling technology that everyone uh, that like is like this rising tide that made the world of business be a lot better for everyone. And so I think that uh, large language models broadly are this new enabling technology. And they're actually not that different from say the cloud because they enable computation in a sort of a new way. Um, and, and, and I think every company in the world will use them. And I think if you're a startup, uh, you would definitely want to figure out how to get ahead. Like, you know, that's, uh, you know, in a follow-up tweet, I said like, Startups are often a spread tra trade between uh, sort of what's possible technologically and what's widely adopted, right? So there's typically a delta between um, a technological unlock like GPT and a wider adoption. And if you're a startup, that's your opportunity. That that delta is your opportunity. And so uh, it is really irresponsible to not leverage this technology to get ahead and be able to compute, uh, to compete. And compute. You know, and I'm glad that you bring up the competitive space because I think something else that's been on your mind, and I'm curious about this as well. I'm I'm going to go create one of those maps of the AI startups in this space. There's going to be so many. There's already a lot out there. So, 
When you look at the ecosystem of AI at the moment, sure, there's some big players, but there is this expansive number of startups that are growing. Who are just some of them that are catching your eye? Or, or maybe there's some that you guys are already working with, or maybe tools that you're already using as well. But you know, just kind of give us that spectrum. Yeah, I mean, one app that I use like now every day is Perplexity AI. Do you know that one? Ah, well, actually, and, and I think, Arv, is it Arvind? You're in, yep, he's here. The CEO's in the room, so I might bring him up in just a moment. But keep yeah. keep doing that while I uh, invite him up. Yeah, so, so uh, Perplexity basically is like my favorite search uh, search engine right now. And it's, um, it's you know, different than ChatGPT in that it actually has up-to-date knowledge. So it has knowledge of the world up to like, you know, the second. Uh, so you can ask a question about what's happening in the world. You know, something you, you know, you saw online or saw some news of, like, I find it a lot easier to like, instead of going around trying to find out what's happening is to just go ask perplexity. And then you can ask a follow up question in a chat GPT fashion. And I just find it way more compelling than any other, uh, you know, search engine, especially for question type things. Um, and it also has this like neat Twitter search feature called Bird SQL um, that allows you to kind of um, do queries on Twitter or language. So you can do things like, who are my top followers? And find out like, you know, who are like the most followed users that follow you. And, you know, more, uh, you know, uh, more in-depth analytics stuff uh, as well. Um, and so, yeah, that's one sort of consumer type app that I, uh, that I use every day. Uh, obviously, I use Ghostwriter every day. Ghostwriter is Replit's sort of copilot-like code assistant. Um, it is split up into multiple components. The core component is code completion, where as I'm typing code, it's sort of predicting what I want to do and doing it for me. And that's saving me something like 50% of keystrokes or more. Uh, it's been really life-changing in a way. And then the other parts is we're working on a chat GPT like uh, component to Ghostwriter where you can talk to Ghostwriter. You can ask it questions about your project. It can like debug errors for you. It can like look things up for you. It can like give you suggestions. Um, it's a, like a pretty neat tool to, to kind of um, as, as, as you're coding. Um, and then um, I think like GPT powered sort of things all over the place. I had this, email tool built on Replit bounties that I'm using quite extensively. And it's a very simple tool. It just sends the email context um, with a prompt to uh, OpenAI and it returns an email. Half the time, uh, it, it's sort of, uh, it's directionally correct. And I'll edit it a little bit to get it to what I want. Um, and so that's been uh, very useful. And then I'll, obviously I use ChatGPT quite quite a bit. The OpenAI playground in a ChatGPT fashion, even before like ChatGPT came out. So I always sort of anytime I want to brainstorm something, I might sort of try to like prompt the AI to think through a problem. Sometimes I have prompted in a way to become a doctor and talk about some medical issues. Um uh so I, I, I sort of like you know build apps on the fly, I guess, with prompting to kind of uh, do something that I wanted it to do. And so, yeah, it's, it's really, uh, it's really been meaningful change in productivity um, and just quality of life with this new technology. 
Absolutely. And you brought up a couple of things we're going to go over in a bit. We're going to dive more into chat GBT, of course. We're going to dive into bounties, but you also brought up Perplexity AI. And so while we have the CEO and co-founder here as well, Aravind, welcome to the stage. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Hi, I'm John. It's great. And have you, I'm imagining you guys have spoken before. Is that right? Yeah. I'm just an investor in Perplexity too. Excellent. Yeah, Excellent. but I'm not... You know, that's not why I bring it. I actually use it every day. And I invest in things that I that I use. Sure, sure. Okay, so Arvind, I mean, you must know so much about this space as well. Why don't we have you also speak to that question? And then I want to hear you guys talk a bit back and forth about what you guys are focused on, what you guys are seeing in this space. So Arvind, you know, as you look at all the other startups out there, let's, of course, promote your own perplexity. But what else is out there in the space related to AI that you're most ex- excited about? Um. I mean, I guess like OpenAI is obviously awesome. Uh, they are leading the whole language models revolution there. Um, I like, though Replits not, Replits existed even before language models started. I think they are, I'm super excited about the bounties uh, I, platform where you can, I think there's just so many more developers who are just going to build cool tools there that you probably don't even need separate companies anymore to do each individual thing. Uh, for example, there are a lot of people who are interested in uh, making a perplexity for Siri. And like, we don't have any time to work on it. And like, we are likely to just put it as a record bounty and have somebody else do it. So I'm excited about those kind of things where the APIs are not so good that like, they're just going to be ton of individual developers doing this rather than actual companies for each thing. Um, I think ChatGPT obviously is really cool. Um, I mostly use it for writing because I'm not a native speaker and sometimes I find it difficult to write things really well. Uh, For example, all the marketing release, marketing material from Perplexity that we put on Twitter, all our tweets announcing our product releases are all uh, written with ChatGPT. As in, I start off with it and I um, iterate a little bit and then um, eventually converge to something. Similarly, like uh, when we were making our first release, like we we were actually working on something else and then we decided to release this and see how it goes and yeah so the people were really knowing how to write front-end code were doing other stuff and then um my co-founder actually wrote the react code he had never coded in react before and he used uh, uh chat gpt's help for that so these kind of like uh experiences are just going to be more and more prevalent now and, and this sort of similar to what Amjad was saying about like how any new thing you want to build is so much easier to build right now. And to add on that, I'd love to hear Amjad. Actually, you just unmuted. Amjad, go right ahead. Uh, oh, no, I was just, uh, yeah, yeah, what I ask you a question. Yeah, I was just wondering about that. As we think about AI, we think about it in a way in some aspects of content, creation, marketing, writing, of course. There's so many things out there, even going into the software development space, you know, from an engineering perspective. Now, some people are looking at it as it's going to take away jobs. I've also heard the other perspective of, well, simply it makes life easier and then enhances you and allows you to focus on the bigger, the better stuff, right? So, Amjad, what's your perspective on that? Well, to start, uh, the the thing I'm most excited about and something I've sort of uh, really dedicated my career to in a lot of ways is the enabling of the small-time entrepreneur, the uh, individual that's trying to change their life circumstances to learn a valuable skill 
and be able to build a business and make money. And, and that's why we're, uh, you know, we built this creator economy around uh, Replit is because, you know, it's, um, you know, for the first time in the history of the world, uh, you can have an idea and start making your first dollar from it in a matter of hours or days. You know, in the, in the past, like think hundreds of years ago, having an idea and actually materializing in the world, uh, you know, not even to think about having someone pay for it, is actually quite hard, right? Like just you have to make some kind of physical object. You have to have some kind of factory to scale that out. You have to have some kind of thing that you're making and you would require a lot of capital and physical infrastructure to do that. And now we're getting to a point where sort of the distance between an idea and a product is coming down so much as to approach zero. Like writing a prompt, you can create a product by writing a prompt. And they do that all the time, especially with GPT 3.5 is sort of really good at zero shot. I actually find it better at zero shot than, than multi-shot because it kind of becomes more constrained with multi-shot. But uh, you, know, it's, it, you can write a prompt and that's an application. Right. I mean, that that is really down to the minute level idea to product in the world. Um, and if you think about the individual entrepreneur, um, you know, like, um, you know, they, they have to do all these different tasks. Right. They have to um, create a marketing site. They have to create uh, they have to think through go to market. They have to find some kind of distribution channel. They have to build, obviously build the product. They have to monetize it. They have to price it. They have to do all that stuff. Um, and I think this new AI revolution will happen every aspect of that. Help you write the marketing copy. Help you brainstorm through your go-to-market. Uh, do your research around pricing. It'll help you code up your application, obviously. Um, and so you go from a world where access to opportunity is this thing that's sort of bottlenecked by, you know, geography and access to education to something that is unlocked via access to any sort of computer with an internet connection. That's basically all you need to build a business, to build a career, to build expertise, to start making money. Um, and we see that all the time with Replit and it's only accelerating with this new technology. Um, in terms of like the question about the jobs, you know, it, it's, it's really hard to predict these things. You know, it's like, you know, go, going back to Ludditeism and the idea, uh, as I remember, I think the Luddites were really worried about, um, about like jobs being taken away from the, the machine that makes clothes, like the loom machine or something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's the loom machine uh, was was this thing that clay uh, that like weaves clothes together. I think the Luddites were were going around and uh, and breaking these machines because they were worried about their job, um, uh, you know, being taken away and automated away by these machines. Obviously, like some of these jobs were automated. You know, that clothing industry created a lot more jobs. You know, people who fix the loom machines, people who um, sell the clothes, people who uh, design the clothes, people it just made it so that our job as humans is a higher level. 
So, you know, I'll give you another example. You know, there, there was a job called a knocker opera. Do you know what a knocker opera is? Tell us. <laughs> so people, you paid them to go around and knock on your window uh, to wake you up at a certain point. So you want to wake up at 8 a.m. You paid a knocker upper who comes with a stick with a finger on it, like a prosthetic type of finger, and knocks on your window at 8 a.m. And, uh, and, you know, it was an industry, the knocker upper industry. And then, you know, obviously the alarm clock came around and you no longer paid a knocker upper. But what did the alarm clock and that kind of relevant sort of electronic uh, uh, sort of revolution bring about? It, it brought a, uh, about like a whole slew of new jobs, right? The people who are at the factories, the people selling the, the alarm clocks, the people fixing them, the all sorts of jobs that you wouldn't have expected uh, were sort of unlocked and, and created. So... I think that question is sort of hard to to figure out. I do think that um, I do think that like uh, you know there are some issues around people who are not adaptable enough being sort of left behind. Uh, you know, given this uh, revolution and being sour about it, and and that's going to create some discontent. That's probably going to a lot of Choose, but that always happens. So my advice is, um, like, jump in and try to learn the technology. And um, instead of being cynical about it and, and being worried about it, try to figure out how to leverage it and how to orient your life in a way that uh, you can make the most uh, amount of uh, good out of it. 100%. And, you know, I happen to work on a podcast as well with the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And so he's interviewing constantly the, the world's best entrepreneurs. He just wrote a book. The common thread that he's learned from all these entrepreneurs and uh, investors and CEOs and executives is that adaptability is that key skill set. That even with technology or just the way the world works, challenges are going to come up. It's how you adapt and overcome them that allows the most successful to keep succeeding because they don't just get inhibited by it right so mm -hmm. Amjad, i'm curious if you're looking at this you know there's a million different ways that ai can go how do you look at it do you start looking at you know different industries that, you, that you're seeing and that you're most excited about in the future or you also use the word geography before and i know that you're building more into india at the moment right which is like the second largest uh area for developers and software development as well so how do you think about that as you explore forward and as you think ai progresses forward yeah, I mean, um, th there's always this sort of almost arbitrage opportunity that happens in technology because the first area that a new technology gets uh, applied to is technology itself. Um, and so it's no surprise that the first mainstream application of LLMs was Copilot. Uh, it's because like, you know, we made this thing. It's like, we're going to use it. <laughs> and so uh, the person that starts looking outside sort of the you know, parochial vision of like, how can we make ourselves more productive starts going out and looking at industries that maybe technologists are not overrepresented in. Well, actually, I think make a lot of money and then maybe make the most amount of money. Uh, because I think technology uh, applied to 
more old-fashioned industries, uh, you know, th- th- there tends to be a bit of a resistance resistance there. But I think uh, you can you find it to be less competitive because there isn't a lot of you know technologists trying to build there. Um, and um, and I think that that's that's going to be an important part of crossing the chasm. Uh, for these technologies to get wider adoptions. Um, in terms of like which industries um, I, I could see this apply to, it, it's sort of like, it, again, like it's sort of like the cloud. This is an enabling technology that I think will just spread everywhere. And I think uh, in, in a similar way that the cloud is still spreading. I mean, the cloud is really taking a long time to, to, have, to, to get to full penetration. Um, there's still a lot of companies and small businesses that are still tied to their own sort of on-prem thing, but, I, but they're all kind of slowly moving. Um, but yeah, because, because it's going to be applied everywhere, I can be kind of be prescriptive. I just say like, look everywhere and, and see like, what can you, what can you do in these uh, different areas? Um, and yeah, I, I could possibly try to, brainstorm uh areas but i'm not sure that's useful but maybe maybe you can give me some some ideas and we could talk about like where uh how could that could that fit to your uh, other question on on geography uh, i think that's that's really going to be a huge um opportunity for emerging markets to be really competitive so anytime there's a major shift in uh, the landscape of technology that creates an opportunity for a new crop of winners to emerge. Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, folks in, um, in like, you know, different uh, countries around the world who were looking for their opportunity to compete, um, or if you're someone who is, um, who's really passionate about, uh, building the next Silicon Valley in your country, it's a really great time to do that. Like, can you um, position Yale as a place where, you know, you have uh, uh, people learning prompt engineering and you have people learning how to sort of code and make things really fast and build uh, businesses online? I think that's a really uh, powerful thing. And that's part of our hypothesis with India. Obviously, India is like, already pretty big and sort of advanced place and with regards to technology but um, we think we can bring something really special with uh, with replit in in India um, and uh, especially with uh, with our focus on mobile uh, so we built this mobile application um, that you know a lot of people in the West actually sort of mocked us for we got a lot of haters for building an app <laughs> it's like get a life but you know a lot of people were just like not uh they're like oh it's not cool to like code, code in your phone or whatever but uh, actually we have like a- around a hundred thousand like weekly active programmers in india <laughs> coding on their phone uh because they don't a lot of them they don't have access to to a computer or if they do they still might prefer their um their device because it's more personal it's in their hands all the time um and with uh, you know, uh, with Ghostwriter and LLM style technologies, you actually have to type plus and you have to, um, you know, anytime you have to like, instead of writing a big parser program, you can just call into an LLM to do a bit of parsing and say, 
you know, it, it re reduces the amount of work that you need to do by a lot, but it also teaches you like, you know, Ghostwriter and Copilot are actually great learning technologies, especially, you know, with ChatGPT. And as we release Ghostwriter Chat, you get like questions and you can have it tutor you on, on how to code. So that's going to be super exciting. Yeah, super exciting. And as we think about, you know, we're talking about the future, we're talking about kind of where the expansions could be, we're searching in a way, right? I'm going to forward search for a second. You know, Arvin, I want to bring you back in as well, because with your work with Perplexity, we're talking about search in a conversational perspective. Obviously, there's a lot going on with ChatGPT Chat at the moment. So just Arvin, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, you know, I'm going through your thread at the moment, and I see you have Yosha Bach in there. I spoke with him a year ago as well. Google search has already gotten worse than complexity, you know, and it's soon to be worse than ChatGPT. Expand your thoughts on that. Uh, you mean like Google versus perplexity? Yeah, go yep, Google and ChatGPT just says the usage is a tool. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think, Firstly, uh, Google has a fundamental business model problem in doing something like perplexity. Um, like, I can give you some examples. Uh, you can go, like, ask on Google, uh, you know, simple questions like, what's the best insurance to buy for a Hyundai? And you would see a lot of links, like a ton of ad links here, there. Uh, even a specific Hyundai model, like Hyundai Tucson, like you would just see the first five, 10 links is just ads. Uh, on Perplexity, you would just get the answer that the cheapest food insurance is offered by Progressive at this many dollars at this per year. This, you get, this is a better plan and so on. And you get the appropriate citations too. Uh, why would Google not do the same thing we are doing? Simply because these insurance companies are paying them like hundreds of dollars per, for that particular keyword. And so if they stop doing that and just give you the answer right away and nobody clicks on these 10 they're putting at the top, uh, their revenue per quarter will just go down. And if the revenue goes down, the stock price will just tank and like the company is in trouble. So it's actually like really misaligned with their business model to build something like perplexity. So we, that's like the primary reason they wouldn't do it very fast. Uh, I mean, they can declare code red and things like that. I, I feel like that's more of a panic reaction. But uh, it's going to be very hard to bring the whole company and the board and shareholders together to like revamp the company to changing the whole search experience and the business model around it. Um, as for OpenAI ChatGPT, I think it's like a pretty interesting problem for them to figure out like how to give you the experience of perplexity and Copilot and Jasper and Ghostwriter all in one interface. If they do want to do the generic thing of like being grounded and factful to like uh, links picked up from a search engine and facts picked up from a search engine and not hallucinate, that's almost like an entirely different product to build. Uh, and then how would you get the entertainment aspect of ChatGPT of just uh, creating content that does not even exist yet? And how do you get the aspect of being able to generate code for requests that have never been um, asked for on Stack Overflow before. So you, you lose the aspect of being a generative engine uh, by trying to build an answer engine. And Yeah, keep going. Yeah, so I think it's very tricky to make ChatGPT one universal interface for every single chat task. Um, if they do it, it'll be super impressive. Uh, at Perplexity, we are just focused on one single experience, which is 
extremely grounded information available to you uh, that you can use to chat with your search engine or Wikipedia or like any site that you want to chat with and learn about. Um, and like we even say like our mission is to be the most knowledge centric company. Uh, so we're not interested in like uh, creating entertainment for you by like hallucinatory content. Uh, some other companies to try to build a uh, chat with search together where they would ask a question and then they'll be like, oh, give me this the form of a poem or like write it in the style of this person. That's not the experience that we want because that's, you don't, you're not thinking through the product clearly about like whether you're actually just a chatbot or a search engine. So I'm glad that you brought up the aspect of business models changing. You even mentioned Stack Overflow as well. And, you know, I need to speak with uh, Stack Overflow CEO just a couple years ago on live audio as well. So that was fantastic. But Amjad, just recently, you even brought up a stat. I think you did it on another great podcast. Uh, but you were talking about Stack Overflow and the reduction in the traffic. It's down 11%. Dive into that a little bit more, more for us. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to make, make a big deal out of it, but we actually seen some some research from uh, from some people. I don't think they're ready to kind of share that out widely, but a very popular VC firm uh, we were talking to uh, showed us some 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 stats um, that um, and you know some people wrote about it on the internet. It's hard to find it from from like public data but they said that uh that stack overflow is is down month over month and also uh outside of its like year of year um set of patterns um and uh you know they seem pretty convinced that um that it is chat gpt's impact and it sort of makes sense um you know i i personally like very rarely now go to Stack Overflow when I'm coding. I'm typically using Ghostwriter Chat, and most of the time it's like very good um, at answering my specific coding question, um, and, and and sometimes even better because it gives me um, exact code snippet that I'd like, and I can also ask a follow up question, and I think that's really um, powerful. And this is also what makes perplexity powerful. The idea is to to be able to ask a follow-up question or ask the AI to iterate on the answer or make it better for you um, is, is something that you don't have with a static website. Um, and and so um, ChatGPT's impact is actually pretty large and far-reaching. It's, it's one of those products that we haven't seen in a long time just go viral super quickly and I hear about it from my friends back in Jordan, where I'm from, who are not even in technology. They're like mildly technical. Um, and like everyone is using it uh, to, you know, for their work and for their business. And um, everyone's trying to imagine like how this technology is like going to change things. And so I think it's been like, you know, super uh, intriguing to kind of watch uh, such a disruptive moment in the in the lifetime of, of technology so it's not at all surprising to me that you know this has a noticeable effect on uh something like traffic to uh stack overflow we have to recognize that these things will train on stack overflow and so that the there's a question about the you know chicken and egg type of question right so uh if stack overflow actually becomes less successful that is actually a bad uh, thing for future LLM training. Um, 
And we know that LLMs are not entirely great at new, new knowledge creation. So it's going to be a race between LLMs getting better at new knowledge creation and the sort of destructive impact it has on uh, sites that were well-trafficked before this technology. So it could have a negative feedback loop, right? I'm sure the folks at OpenAI and other places are thinking about it. Um, it you know, so, so that's the lookout for. I'd be curious to see how that uh, plays out. But, you know, for now, I see no reason for me to, to go stack overflow. Got it, got it, got it. So I love this conversation. I love where we're going, folks. Just a quick refresh if you've been joining us. We're talking with Amjad, everything about coding and AI, and of course, Arvind from Perplexity AI. This is a great conversation. I love diving in. If you guys have questions, raise your hand. We'll bring you up in a little bit. But Amjad, I want to go back to you real quick because we're talking about you know the, the industry and some changes, if you will. With your experience using AI so far, what's the friction that you're experiencing? You know, and, and it could be little moments, little you know snippets or areas that you would want to improve yourself or at a larger scale as well. What are those things that you're noticing? Because, of course, you have an eye uh, and a mind for this more than most of us who are able to look at it and say, hey, here's what I would fix or here's what I would do. Well, I, th I think the, the most important thing is sort of prompting is this inexact science. Um, it's, you know, easy to create a prompt that works for one type of queries and messes up on other type of queries. It's not that easy to test it. It's not that easy to make an update to it and make sure it works on other, uh, on the existing type of queries. Um, so you might fix it for a bug that you've just seen, but you might also break other use cases. And prompting in general just feels like it, it's just sort of the early day software it feels like writing assembly code like it is a very sort of low level thing like the kind of work we have to do on ghostwriter to make, make uh, prompting work is a bit of a low level uh, type of work to kind of stuff the prompt with as much with as much context as, as possible that being said, there's a lot of interesting things that are happening. Um, Embeddings-based prompting. So basically, you know, the most basic usage of, of embeddings. Embeddings basically is like you give it a set of a string of words and it, it gives you a set of numbers that encode the meaning of those words. Um, and so if you have a large corpus and that corpus doesn't fit entirely in the context window of the LLM, what you do is per... Um, sort of query, you get the embeddings for that query and you match it against the embeddings from that existing corpus that you index and then you put the relevant information in the prompt. So that's one way to kind of create some kind of long-term memory uh, in, in the prompt. And so that's, uh, I commented about this being niche just a few months ago and now everyone's sort of doing some aspect of that. And so it is a very fast-moving space. I would love to see more IDE style editors for prompting, maybe something that gives you some kind of linting, maybe something that does acceptance testing, maybe something that does A-B testing. It's a very fertile area for entrepreneurs to come in and build dev tools. Uh, and I'm actually slightly surprised that we haven't seen as many 
sort of dev tools uh, um, in 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 that area. And and maybe I'm a little behind on the time. I've been quite busy, so maybe there are things. And you know, tweet at me and tell me what uh what some prompt tools and tool chains you've been using. Uh, but yeah, I, I think prompting is 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 very tricky. It's easy to deceive yourself and think you have a good prompt and then it breaks in in production. It's also easy to do uh, prompt injection. Uh, the other day, someone found a vulnerability with this un- with a site that they didn't name, where they uh, were able to prompt inject and find the OpenAI key API key from the prompt, and so that's scary. That reminds me. So I grew up in the golden age of SQL injections, right? And so, like, if you if you knew how to do SQL injections in the early 2000s, you sort of had this master key to the internet. It was pretty powerful. Like most sites were sort of, especially sites that just used uh, frameworks and never updated those, were in some capacity uh, vulnerable to to SQL injection. Um, I remember, like, I you know. I'd try to get into a Wi-Fi, it's locked, and I'll just do a SQL injection, just get into get into that Wi-Fi or get into any site I'd want. And it's, just, it's, it's like a common thing. And I think right now we're probably in a place where prompt injection is, um, like a lot of times prompt injection is benign, but it gets pretty bad when you're evaluating the code uh, that you're generating from an LLM. That's that's like a pretty, pretty bad thing to do. And so... Um, and there, there are other ways where prompt injection could like really um, kind of create security issues. And so, uh, so yeah, prompting in general is a very early inexact science. And so I would love to see more work in that area. The other thing is giving LMs the ability to use tools. So, you know, uh, perplexities uh, kind of, Technology is, is, is interesting where they um, marry an LLM with a search engine on the back end. Um, and you know, that's very specific to them, but a lot of times you are building an application and you know you want the LLM to be able to access the internet for up-to-date knowledge. You want to be able to, to access uh, a calculator, a Python interpreter, uh, because you know these things are disembodied by default. They don't have up-to-date knowledge. They can't, you know, access the state of the environment, and so being able to access these things is is very important. Um, I've been hearing a lot about uh, Langchain. I haven't like really tried it or dug into it just yet, uh, but that seems like an area where you could do composability and you can sort of augment LLMs with useful utilities and and memory and and things like that, and so. That's a developing area. That's very exciting, um, and and so you know, without those sort of things, again, you, you have this disembodied agent that doesn't know anything about the world, and it could give you pretty false information, and it could give it could hallucinate, and 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 so that's that that's uh, like pretty tricky. I think there's a challenge for teachers in this age um, to like figure out how to teach without memorization and, and without um, sort of uh, like overemphasis on, um, uh, uh, you know, without overemphasis on, um, on sort of like 
menial tasks and road tasks because all of that is automatable with LLMs. I think the best teachers and the best ways of teaching are going to evolve to include these things as part of the curriculum as opposed to banning them. Um, and, you know, uh, where I'm from back in Jordan, they used to ban calculators and in, in, in mathematics exams and, and things like that. And I, I thought it was pretty dumb because like, um, you know, it's it, like what you're doing is like you're freeing your mind to be able to do more complex things. And like, you know, if a computer is, is really good at something, like I, I think it's okay to be able to depend on it. Of course, in some cases you want to learn the core skill but after that, like it's it's fine to be able to depend on that on that thing. Now, I'm not giving an opinion that ChatGPT should write all your essays, but I'm just saying that a solution to the problem of using GPT for uh, cheating is not to ban these things. It's probably to figure out a proactive way of using them. Ooh, I love this. You know, you brought up a keyword. You brought up hallucinations just a few minutes ago. And, you know, Aravind, I, I saw in, in your thread, there's a lot of that word as well throughout just different tweets and things like that. We could dive into that. That was going to be one of my questions, but I want to be respectful of both of your times. And so uh, I want to ask each of you just one last question before we go. Um, Aravind, I want to go next to you because I think that obviously we're on Twitter. Right. It's a social media platform. I think it's a great one. We're on Twitter spaces now talking things like live audio. What do you see the future of social media, and let's just say Twitter for that matter, looking like with or integrated with AI and the usage of perplexity AI? Like just, I'm just trying to think about all the potential improvements, all the way that this can get better. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that one before we go over uh, back to Amjad. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, the reason we actually built BirdSQL and put it out was um, Twitter search was just not nice for me. And I'm a very uh, regular user of Twitter. Um, I don't use it mostly to just like follow people and see what they're saying. But sometimes they say a lot of insightful things and I just uh, might want to revisit it. And it's so hard to pull up the content again in future. And also, uh, you know, when you're, when you're running a company like marketing and like releasing your stuff and making sure uh, people use it, people are liking liking it and like tweeting is super important, right? So you can learn a lot from how other people do it, other successful people do it. Um, one example is like Replit or Amjad, the way they do their releases is like super well thought out. So then you want to like also go and search for like what tweets get a lot of likes, engagement, or like who's actually liking them and like so on, right? So all these sort of experiences were lacking on Twitter and that's sort of what BirdSQL catered to. Um, another inspiration for this was uh, Wolfram and Wolfram Alpha and Graph Search for, on Facebook that used to exist even before the era of LLMs. All these things are like so much easier to build now with code language models and GPT 3.5 and so on. Uh, and uh, in terms of Twitter, the core experience on Twitter itself, um, I really liked the tweet from Amjad recently about how you can basically almost like personalize your feed by uh, saying in English what you want to see. You can just say like, oh, I want to see tweets more like this, these sort of tweets. And like that should just embed all your tweets, create an embedding for your, the tweets you want to see more of, uh, cluster the other tweets based on like what you embedded and said you liked and just, could just create a totally personalized suite for you on the fly that actually works. 
And it could just be a combination of embeddings and also uh, more uh, SQL-like things where you only want to see tweets from a few people and they could be outside of your fo- people you follow and so on. And uh, all these things are super important, right? So I think personalized so- social media, personalized content that you want to ingest will just be way more possible with these generative language models on Twitter. All right, all right. So I got one more question for you, Amja. But before I do that, Irvin, I want you to ask, I'm sure you guys talk offline, you guys talk one-on-one. What's one thing that maybe you it's been on your mind lately? Like now you have him, he's on stage, he's right next to you. What's something that you would love to ask Amja while we're here today? Uh, how do I keep shipping fast as the company grows? Because Airwrap's incredibly good at it. <laughs> um, I, mean, I, I would say like just like keep the smallness as as much as possible meaning like um th- there's a tendency for entrepreneurs to what i call it uh playing house so it, you know when you're a kid there's this popular thing to do is to kind of act like adults uh and entrepreneurs will like raise a series a and it's like okay now it's time you know have a I have a board and I need a process uh, and I need to get serious. Um, and so you end up sort of cargo culting what other companies or bigger companies do. Um, and cargo culting is this, you know, term um, that uh, describes like doing something without actually understanding, uh, you know, uh, what, why it's done. Um uh, and and it's it's basically like um, I don't have to explain. You can look it up, but uh, like you end up just copying um, what you think grownups are doing, and you don't understand the reason behind it or why it evolved. Um, and instead, what you want to do is you want to learn on your own in a way. You want to, of course, learn from books and by talking to others. But what works for you, what works for your team, what works for your culture, what works for your personality, what do you enjoy doing? I think a lot of founders don't check in with themselves often and just think, okay, what kind of company are you want to work at? And so do you want to work at a, like a company that's like very process oriented and want to, you know, be accurate and do the right things and never mess up? And okay, that personality trait, you can do that. But kind of my personality trait is I want to work at a company where have fun where we uh, like do things fast, where um, we explore ideas pretty quickly, where, you know, it's okay to mess up. And um, it's actually great if you're ambitious with some risk of failure. Um, and, um, and so structure the company in a way that, uh, that does that. The, the other thing is like, you, you, you almost want an expiration period for some process. So it's easy every time you mess up to add some kind of process, right? So you broke the site today, add a process. Now we, um, now we have a staging server, which is fine, you know. But you you run this iteration like a hundred, a thousand times, and you end up with something so you know time consuming, so difficult, and slows you down so much. And a lot of companies, there's like employees are churned enough that. People don't know why they're doing that. It becomes a form of cargo culting. 
So everyone once in a while you want to sort of throw a grenade and a bunch of processes you've accumulated. And like what happens if you like you know, what happens if you just remove them? Uh, and 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 you know, uh, and, and you know, maybe maybe something blows up. Maybe there's a there's a reason for that for that thing to be there. Um, uh, you know, uh, and it, it, actually, there's there's like this this word uh, for it. It's called Chesterton's uh, fence, uh, and it's actually advocating the opposite of what I'm saying. Is that um, you know you should you should um, you should understand why something is there before before you move it. I'm actually saying the opposite. I was like, every once in a while, try removing things. And if if you removed enough things and things are still working and perhaps working better, that's great. You know, just keep going. And so I, I you know, I do that every once in a while, where you know I go into a team, sorry, some part of the company, and it's sort of like full of things that I don't understand and ways of doing things that seems like too complex, and you just like start from scratch and just see see what breaks. Oh, I love this. All right. Well, I heard your notes going off. So we're 10 minutes before the hour. You got your next thing coming up. Last question for you. I love what you're doing with the Replit bounties, right? I know that you tweeted recently. You said, it turns out all my friends are using Replit bounties, even those who don't code. This is the fastest product of full friend saturation I've experienced lately. So I'm curious, what's one that you've been super impressed with recently that you saw, you noticed, or it helped you? Or what's one thing that you'd love to see come up? What's a bounty that you'd love to see come up? Because there's people in this audience that might be interested to hear that as well. Uh, I saw a game uh, yesterday. Uh, most bounties are like actually business kind of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where I see most of my friends using it. Uh, like, you know, I saw, I saw a friend yesterday post a bounty that's actually active right now to generate a domain for his new startup. He's like, write a script to like find with like, that's.com. That's like, you know, five or six letters. Uh, and so someone has probably already done it. Um, and, and so a lot of it is just like immediate need type stuff that are people getting done. Um, but one thing I found, I, I found saying, uh, uh, that I saw yesterday was a game uh, it was called a SpaceX um, uh, Starship Earth Lander game, and so the author is asking someone to uh, build a web-based two D two D lunar lander game, incorporating uh, SpaceX Starship uh, landing. And he links to uh, YouTube and docs of like how to how the Starship will be landing. And I thought that was like a very cool use of the platform. It's like you want this, you want to play this game, and this is like a lot of what we talk about. This is a lot of what we think that LLMs will also unlock is that, like on the fly media, being able to generate media, games, entertainment, for you personalized. Like this person is like making a game that they want to play and they want to see in the world, and I think that's really the kind of our mission of like really making ideas reality as, as, as fast and as efficiently as possible. Oh, I love the way that you said that on the fly media. 
All right, Amjad. Well, you are doing great things at Replit. I'm super excited for you. You guys are great. You're hiring as well. So, folks, if you're in the audience, check out Replit. Check out their career page. They've got some open positions. I can see them now. Developers, uh, software engineers, things like that. And, Aravind, I know that you're doing fantastic things at Perplexity AI as well. I'm so glad that you got to join the conversation. We'll have to do this again sometime, guys, because Amjad and Aravind, you guys are doing fantastic. So I'm super, super excited for you. Uh, and we'll have many more of these shows coming up with more AI leaders, folks. So quick reminder out there, my name is Adam Soklich, also known as the best of live audio. We're talking all things AI encoding today with Amjad, Replit CEO, and I've just really, really appreciated this. So thank you guys so much for joining today. Thank you all. I appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. Thanks, everyone in the audience. So glad that you joined as well. Tune in, check these guys out, follow them if you haven't already. And I hope you all have a great rest of the day. Take care, everyone.